a lot of the time we say that the state capital is kind of like a high school, right? Everybody wants to gossip. Everybody's got dirt to dish on other people. That's another thing we should add in the skill set of reporters is like small talk is like <laughs> a huge like part of what we do because you have to get people to start talking to you and feel comfortable around you. So you have to be good at just like shooting crap with people. And this is where my knowledge of sports could really use a, a brush up here because. Oh, yeah, especially in Iowa. Yeah. Go Hawks. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's literally the only thing I can know how to say. You need, you must know whether the Hawks won or lost the game. Oh, God. Probably the Packers or the Cubs, too. This interview was not my guest's only interview of the day. In fact, when it comes to interviews, my guests are pretty much as expert as it gets. As journalists, Stephen Gruber-Miller and Sylvia Foster-Frau spend their days asking questions, telling stories, and investigating truth. Sylvia is the multiculturalism reporter at the Washington Post, and Stephen is a political reporter for the Des Moines Register. At Grinnell, they were classmates, and both graduated with English degrees in 2015. In this episode of Going Forth, Stephen and Sylvia reunite to give me the inside scoop on what it takes to be a journalist. We cover reporting skills, media literacy, burnout, and the future of this fast-changing and important industry. And unlike in their day-to-day -day work, today they don't ask the hard-hitting questions, they answer them. From the Center for Careers, Life and Service at Grinnell College, I'm Meredith Benjamin. Stay with us. Hi, Stephen and Sylvia. How are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for having us. Thank you for being here. I'm really excited to talk about journalism with you both. So before we get into that, can you guys introduce yourselves and tell us what you do? I'm Sylvia Foster-Frau, and I'm the multiculturalism reporter at The Washington Post. So I cover changing demographics and issues of race, culture, ethnicity, all that stuff. I'm Stephen Gruber-Miller. I am the Statehouse reporter for the Des Moines Register. So I cover the Iowa legislature, the governor's office, other state government agencies, as well as campaigns and politics. Before I start asking you about what it's like to report on these things, can you first tell me what your time was like at Grinnell? I loved my time at Grinnell. It was like a super formative part of my life. And I learned a lot of critical thinking skills and just read a lot. Um, me and I think Stephen too were English majors. And so just like a lot of consumption of different writers from different walks of life, which really helped inform my journalism career because I had to develop strong writing skills and reading skills in college. I would echo that, um, you know, all the different varieties of reading that we did and writing in, in different styles. I took creative writing classes. I took nonfiction classes. I worked at the Scarlet and Black, which was a really great experience to have. You know, I was an English major, and so I took a ton of English classes, but I also took political science, history, and all these different subjects that I think are really good sort of experiences to prepare you to kind of have a career in, in critical thinking, right, which is really useful for journalism. 
I think in journalism, you don't know like what beat you'll necessarily end up covering, right? And so like the more well-rounded you are, the more flexible and able you are to write and report on a range of subjects. Not that you can't start cold and like a completely foreign subject, but having a familiarity with like all these kind of different fields and areas of life is just really helpful in getting started. And even just knowing how to learn something quickly, which I think is helpful. Like if you're taking a liberal arts education, you have to switch gears between different subjects and and learn how to master them. Like that's exactly the kind of thing you'll be doing in journalism. You'll need to start not knowing very much about a subject and then master it well enough to be able to explain it to other people. So yeah, that no, that's super interesting because I think that sometimes people think it's a disadvantage to go to a liberal arts school if you are interested in journalism because we don't have a journalism major like a larger university would. But that's such an interesting perspective that a lot of people would be soothed to hear, at least people that I know. <laughs> I definitely felt when I was at Grinnell like I had to hustle to kind of find opportunities in journalism since they weren't, you know, readily available. And I would say that now what I've seen of the Scarlet and Black and I've gone back and spoken to them, they're doing such great work now. They have a lot more mentorship and sort of more opportunities than they did when when we were in school. Yeah, they're fantastic. I've got a lot of friends who work for the S&B and they're, they're hustlers for sure. <laughs> so it sounds like you, at least Stephen, knew that you wanted to be a journalist throughout your time at Grinnell. So I'm just hoping that both of you could share what was going through your mind as you approached graduation and then what the path looked like when you did graduate. Um, I didn't know right away that I wanted to be a journalist. I came into Grinnell not knowing really what I wanted to do. It wasn't until my second year that I started getting involved with the S&B. By the time I was a senior approaching graduation, I sort of knew, yeah, this is something I would like to do. And so I was just casting as wide a net as possible for any kind of opportunity I could find. In high school, I had a student column in like the local paper and stuff. And I knew I always loved reading and writing. And that was basically all I knew going into college. And it was really the internship that I had after my sophomore year at Minnesota Public Radio that kicked off the kind of journalism trajectory more. But I would say even then by my senior year, when I was desperate for a job and stress and had like no clue what my life would be like as like an adult in the real world, I applied to journalism jobs, but I also applied to a lot of publishing houses and like just things that were still in that realm or wheelhouse just because I was trying to find something that was at least close to my skill set and like what I love to do you know and then luckily for both of us you know we were able to pursue like jobs in the field that we were mainly interested in. That's a good point. Actually, it might appear inevitable now that we're both professional journalists, but it wasn't necessarily a given when I was about to graduate from Grinnell, just because you have to take what's out there. I definitely could have ended up doing something a little bit different. I actually didn't find this until about after I had graduated, but I ended up at the Iowa City Press Citizen newspaper. And so that was my starting point. In a lot of ways, that's kind of the best way to approach a career is not by like this idea that you have of what that career is, but like we were genuinely just looking at things that included skills and tasks that we felt like we were good at or like to do. And that led us to journalism. You know, it wasn't like the other way around where we had some like preconceived idea about it. It like came from just genuinely feeling like those skills were up your alley, which I think is why we like our jobs still now. <laughs> I think that's right. I mean, I, I took forever to decide on major at Grinnell because I was like, oh, well, I like English, but I like political science and I like history and maybe I want to do one of these things. And I ended up on English and, and ended up, you know, following the journalism path. But I just felt like I had such a variety of, of interests that I was like, I can go in any different direction here. 
So when you graduated, was the path more or less linear to where you've wound up in the years since? It never feels that way at the time, Mm. (laughs) or at least not to me. But yeah, I have, I mean, I have had a pretty straightforward career, I think. I started, like I said, at the Iowa City Press Citizen, you know, a small daily newspaper in Iowa. And from there was hired at the Des Moines Register. And I've had a couple of different roles here at the Register. But for the past several years, I've been covering state government and politics. But, you know, you're always on the lookout for what other opportunities might be there. I got a Hearst Journalism Fellowship upon graduating from college and that it's a two-year program and it's at two different Hearst Corporation papers. And so my first was in Connecticut and then my second year was in San Antonio, Texas. And then I ended up staying there for like almost five years before I moved to DC for the job at the Post. I started at the Greenwich Time, which is a really small community paper in Connecticut and like this really wealthy community. It was a trip. And then basically like went to papers that were slightly bigger and bigger. Stephen, you cover Iowa electoral politics for the most part. Sylvia, you cover multiculturalism and America's changing demographics and issues around that. I guess I'm wondering what attracts you to these these niches and how did you find them? Yeah, well, I would say I've gravitated toward this area of multiculturalism, which is a new beat. It's not like a classic beat in any sense. Like it was developed by the Post a couple years ago. I think it started honestly just personally because I'm half Puerto Rican and grew up in the Midwest. And so I personally like always had questions about race and identity and thought that was like an area of coverage that I was interested in. You know, I read about those things a lot and wrote about that and like creative writing classes and stuff. In college, I got really into kind of immigration law and advocacy and took classes on immigration. And so I speak Spanish fluently. And so I think all of those things kind of combined together so that when I was out in the working world, like I would gravitate toward those kinds of stories that were on immigrants, on people of color, where I could use my Spanish, you know. So I started first a general assignment and then even in education reporting was when I really got the sense like, oh, I want to be an immigration reporter. And San Antonio had an immigration reporter that someone else had. And I was like, oh my God, I would love to have that job. Like I remember thinking like, that's crazy that they get to have a job like that, you know, where they were going to the border and stuff. And so I basically like tried to position myself as someone who could be a backup to that kind of role. And then eventually when that reporter got a job at a different paper, I filled his spot. And so it just kind of naturally wound up being able to cover things that went to my strengths and went to what I was interested in. I think in journalism, there is like a fair amount of independence and flexibility as a journalist, right? Like you are often the one pitching the stories and coming up with ideas. So you can also kind of begin to tailor beats, right, to what you're interested in or to what you have strengths in over time. And editors, they're good editors, they'll pick up on that and try to help you grow into those areas. Yeah, you just got to say yes to things. I cover politics now, but when I started, there were like six reporters in Iowa City. And so my beat was crime and like county government. And also sometimes I would do features and sometimes I would go to school board meetings and sometimes I would go to you know city council meetings or cover a new business opening. And so it's kind of everything. And you figure out sort of what you like and you keep trying to do what you like. From that press citizen job, the first job I got at the register was actually covering courts. So I was in the courtroom covering trials. And from there, there's a lot of intersection between courts and politics. And so I got the chance to cover political court cases and and kind of kept raising my hand. And and just more of those opportunities arose because I was looking for, you know, ways to, to kind of do some of that work. 
But I would say the most important thing for a new journalist is to get a breadth of experience. Like that's definitely the advice I would give is do as many things as you can, because you might start out working in one area or covering one beat, but you may easily end up doing something totally different later on. And just having the ability to switch gears and do those things is one of the most valuable things that I think editors and managers are looking for. They always end up overlapping too. Like even once you switch beats and end up covering something else, like it will always come up that previous experience you had with courts or with crime because we separate areas of coverage, but like obviously life is more complicated than that. And a lot of them overlap and intersect. And so it's really helpful too, like as you go further in your career to have those backgrounds because they will inevitably come up. And if you don't have it, like I never did like breaking crime news really that much, a little bit, but not a lot of it. And I know Notice that sometimes in stories that I like have that gap. And so it's, I completely agree with what Stephen said. Yeah. And it's funny that you use that as an example because starting out somewhat in breaking news, if I think about it, I can still see the ways where it shapes my competitiveness. Like I've got to get this first, like I know how to work fast. So some of those skills stay with you. That's so interesting. Stephen, I love what you said about that. You said yes a lot. You know, you've already given such clear, concrete advice on what journalism requires and what skills serve a journalist well. But I'm, I'm hoping you can just elaborate. I'm wondering, like, what in your eyes makes a good journalist? Well, one of the things that I think people should realize is you think about a reporter and you think about somebody who writes and somebody who's published, right? You know, you read what they write or you watch it on TV or whatever. And the writing is an important part of it. But that comes after the reporting part, doing research, talking to sources, developing relationships, having these conversations, digging up documents, you know, filing records requests, all of that comes before any of the writing. So I think it's easy to look at reporting and just see writing. That was part of my interest in it to begin with. But there's all of this work that goes into the product ahead of time. And you need to be able to do the kind of research that maybe you get training at at Grinnell, right? You know, you learn how to read documents and things like that. You need to be able to have conversations with people and develop relationships so that they want to come to you and explain things to you and tell you things. All of that is important to being a good journalist. All that background work that people don't see in the final product is obviously a huge part of the job. And as we had mentioned earlier too, like being able to learn things quickly is a big aspect of it. Being able to talk to a wide range of people. And it does take some guts too. You have to cold call people a lot. You have to knock on strangers' doors and like try to plead your case for why they should talk to you. You have to call victims, family members, survivors of like horrific tragedies and like ask them if they're willing to tell the story of the people they lost to you, like really heavy stuff too, you know? So you do also need to kind of overcome some social fears and be willing to kind of put yourself out there and put yourself in uncomfortable situations. A lot of times like reporters are not welcome in a space or kind of awkwardly on the outside of like an event, right? We're kind of the outsiders. Like if you go and attend something, like you're not the show, you're documenting the show. You're not the attendee, you're talking to those people. And so you have to get kind of used to being in those kinds of spaces and putting yourself out there a lot. The interpersonal relationship part of it is just so important because, you know, some of the situations that Sylvia was alluding to, you have to handle those really delicate situations with respect. 
if something very serious has happened and you need to report on it, you need to do your job as a reporter and ask questions and get the story out. But you also, you know, things are context dependent, right? You need to be respectful of families who are grieving. You need to know how to approach different conversations in different ways. And as far as being on the outside of certain spaces, you know, that's one of the reasons, you know, you love community journalism because you get to know a community, you get to know the people you're covering in certain ways to a point where they're inviting you into those spaces. So you may start out like Sylvia was saying, you know, sort of on the outside. And sometimes, sometimes that's where you have to stay, right? It depends how comfortable people are inviting you in, but that's one of the jobs that you have is to get to those spaces so you can tell those stories. Sylvia, when you were talking about the experience of stepping into a situation where there's been a tragedy, and Stephen, you said that that's just part of the job. I guess I'm wondering if that ever gets personally difficult and how you practice self-care in your line of work. It does. And it's been a kind of growing conversation. Like in the journalism field, there was a lot less awareness or conversation about journalists' mental health and like kind of the secondhand trauma, right, that a lot of journalists carry of like repeatedly covering tragedies. I mean, there are a lot of folks who are repeatedly covering these really horrific tragedies over and over again and having to hear these stories and having to hear those conversations and being the one to make the phone calls. Or it's not just reporters too, like the photographers even the photo editors, right, that are constantly being exposed to the images, right, and having to select out, like, to not publish the gruesome ones, but they have to see it to make that decision, right? They do have an effect. Obviously, I don't think you can compare it to the folks who are affected themselves, you know? It does not come close to being directly the subject of that kind of grief, but I think over time, yeah, like, it does wear on you, and there are a lot more support groups out there for journalists, a lot more conversations about it. I do think there's still a lot more work to be done, just educating folks and providing resources for journalists to find ways to cope and handle those things. And this is not necessarily true for everyone and can be case dependent on the person. But for me, honestly, being able to tell the story actually is very helpful to me because I feel like, okay, I was just like exposed to all of this grief and all of this pain and really heavy stuff. But I'm like able to channel that and do something about it. Like I'm telling these people's story. I'm trying to explain, you know, why it is that these things keep happening again and again. And like that feeling of productivity, like being able to channel all of that I just learned and emotionally absorbed being able to put that on a page for me it feels like you're not helpless to the pain that's around you not saying that everyone like should just work more (laughs) but like it can be helpful to actually feel like you're contributing in a positive way but obviously you know work-life balance is super important and having hobbies and having people that you can talk to about like what you heard for me just like talking to friends and family like about the story that I just heard or the person that I just had to talk to is also helpful I would echo everything that Sylvia just said. I think you said it really well, Sylvia. I mean, I'm really glad that this is a conversation that the journalism profession seems to be having about how to take care of ourselves when we're in close proximity to things like this. I think we're a far distance from sort of the the image of like the grizzled old reporter who's just going to brush it off or whatever. That's not really the experience I think that people have anymore. I was going to say the same thing where I feel like some of the times when you are speaking to people who have suffered loss they're trusting you to tell their stories and the stories of their loved ones. And so that's some of the most meaningful work I think you can do is to put that out there and and make sure that those stories are heard. 
Yeah, it seems to me that one of the biggest challenges could be like you want to protect yourself from feeling everything that you're witnessing because you can't go through life like that. You can't get the work done if you're consumed by the grief and the pain that you might be seeing. But at the same time, you also want to protect yourself from being numb and being desensitized to it. And I'm, I'm wondering if that's something that you guys ever struggled with, the desensitization. I sometimes get jealous of people who can just like turn off the news for a couple weeks. And I'm like, oh, wow, that would be nice if it wasn't like my entire job to constantly be paying attention to it. You know, I do try to protect myself sometimes. Like if something is just not necessary for me to read for my job, like I'll make the decision. Like I don't need to read this or follow up on it. If it feels like it would just make me feel like more down and out about the day, then I can kind of make that decision. But yeah, it is a tricky balance. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to that, except for it's important to be able to take breaks. And it's important to be able to give yourself time to rest and recharge when you need to kind of get some distance from what you've been doing. I feel like a lot of the conversations I hear about journalism in this modern age is that there seems to be this tension between the need to attract people to the headline, right? The need to hook people But then there's also this core imperative of journalism is just delivering truth. And at least since 2016, I feel like I've heard a lot of discourse around whether this system that requires constant attention, constant engagement is sustainable for the industry itself. You know, it's hard to tell somebody who doesn't share your worldview that theirs is wrong. And I I feel like a lot of the discourse I hear about journalism has to do with what journalism's role in this tension is. And I'm wondering if you guys have any thoughts on that and what systems are in place that protect ethics or how your industry is grappling with this moment. Do we have thoughts? (laughs) Yes. I guess I would start with you need to deliver the facts in journalism, right? And one of the things that I like about being a journalist is the ability to talk to people who feel different ways about an issue or believe different things about an issue and understand where they're coming from, right? I think empathy is a really strong tool for a reporter. And you can have empathy and, and talk to people who believe things and still lay out what's true and what's not. The mission doesn't change, right? You need to report the truth. The industry financially is trying to figure out what is the way forward here. People have never historically wanted to pay for just news, right? When newspapers were widespread and delivered to every doorstep, you have a ton of advertisers in there. And like, you know, the advertising helps sell the paper. (laughs) With less advertising revenue comes the need to make sure people are clicking on the subscription. So there's a whole like intertwined financial aspect to this, but the industry also separates out. Like I work on the news side. I'm a reporter. I report to my editors. We have no engagement with like what the advertisers are doing or what our opinion pages are doing. You know, we are like focused solely on our reporting. So the business is kind of siloed in that way to protect us from some of those pressures. Sometimes I wish people could have a better understanding of what goes on behind the scenes with us and what our processes and ethics are in place before we produce a story because of like the rise of social media and all of these different outlets, right? Some that have no standards or ethics in place and then others that are more traditionally established like these mainstream outlets that do. 
I feel like there's a lot of comparisons to something that like me and Steven would produce with something that's like a bogus blog, you know, and then it's like, oh, well, which one is true? Which one is, you know, and so sometimes I just wish people could see behind the scenes, like get a sense of how it actually works, the fact checking process that goes in place, the kind of objective process of calling different sources, the conversations with our editors, the policies we have in place about corrections, you know, like when something is wrong and the real penalties that reporters have faced in the past. You know, there are instances, right, where famous cases of reporters who plagiarized and lied and the ways that their careers fell, right? Like there are all these kind of established barriers in place to make sure that what we're doing is following these certain amount of guidelines. But I think it's just all become kind of obscured and mystified and conflated with, you know, anything else that's out there online. Newsrooms have gotten better about it, right? Like in big projects, you'll notice people will include like transparency of like the number of documents reviewed or how we did this story, which I think are very helpful. And I think we do need to keep doing more of that to really foster trust and understanding with how we do our job and the standards that are in place to produce the work that they end up seeing. I agree that it's incumbent on journalists to make sure that their work can be trusted, right, and is worthy of that trust. I also think you talk about the example of sort of shady blog, you know, people look at it from the outside and as equivalent. There's a siloing of where people get their news. The reach of maybe traditional newspapers is not as far as it was. There's the rise of non-traditional websites or nonprofits or even news websites that are essentially like doing the propaganda work of a political party, but masquerading as news. That's one of the reasons it's confusing is because there are people out there who are intentionally passing themselves off as journalists when they're really doing political propaganda work, essentially. That media landscape is really fractured and people can get their news from these different places. And if they're not looking too closely, they can see what they want to see. And I think one of the things I would say to readers is <laughs> this news story is telling you exactly what you want to hear. Uh, maybe find another news story as well, right? Diversify what you're reading, what you're watching, what kind of news you're consuming to make sure that you're getting several trusted sources in there and not just taking things in from, from one place that might be skewed. A reputable news organization should be putting its work out there, showing its work to readers and saying, this is what we're doing on your behalf together at the news. That's a really good point, Stephen. I was going to ask, as an insider, how would you suggest to people like me or people like Renellians who aren't behind the scenes, you know, what is the balance of critical reflection and skepticism, right? I think a, a certain amount of skepticism is a healthy thing, but how should we maintain this healthy level of skepticism without inadvertently falling into this post-truth, conspiratorial almost worldview and this mindset that seems to have taken over? in a lot of people's lives. I think a little research can go a long way, honestly. Find those variety of news sources that you trust, right? And if they are reporting on the same thing, if they're sharing the same news, then you know you have a baseline of it's not just this one outlet that's sharing this news, right? It takes a little work, but not, not that much work to kind of find out if a website or a news organization is legitimate or not. If it's legitimate, they'll be doing things like the process Sylvia described of sharing, you know, here's how we do our work. If they're a nonprofit, they'll be hopefully disclosing their donors. Steps that actual reputable news organizations take to signal to readers that we are real and we deserve your trust and the reporting process is clear. 
Switching gears a little bit, I'm hoping that you can walk me through some of the different options that exist within journalism. I know it can be a very diverse field. There's a lot of things that could count as journalism and a lot of different roles that are involved with producing stories and delivering the news. If you could just walk me through some of the categories and some of the different options for somebody who feels like they think that the industry might be a fit, but they're not sure where exactly they fit. I guess there's like three main general buckets first. There's like print slash digital, so more kind of writing focus. Then there's broadcast TV, which is more visual, and then obviously radio. And so then from there, there's kind of similar but different roles, right? Like there's reporters in all three. There's oftentimes photographers, editors, copy editors. And then obviously even within reporting, like if you're talking about print, you can be doing shorter daily beats stories, enterprise stories, which are like longer form investigative, which are often people who publish every few months because they're working on longer investigative pieces. There is like a very broad range and you might not always start out with where your goal is in mind, but you can often find ways obviously to try to move within the industry. Even within those different buckets that Sylvia mentioned, you know, there's a lot of variety. There's not just editors and reporters. You might have web producers. You might have people handling social media, data visualization. We have reporters who do that. For now, at least, we still have print designers. So there are different roles that work for different skill sets. And Stephen, your advice earlier about saying yes to stories and trying things, would you guys extend that advice to exploring different roles within the industry when you're starting out? If that's open to you, right, if that avenue is open to you, Sylvia talked earlier about her internship in Minnesota Public Radio. I mean, that's that's a cool experience to have. I've never had any kind of experience like that, but that would be great. The one thing I would say to temper that yes advice a little bit is when you're working for an employer, remember that you deserve to be treated with respect as a worker. There's a lot of young journalists who get overworked and that's, you know, some of that is part of the deal here, right? Like you need to get some of that experience, but like, don't let your employer ask more of you than you need to give. Don't work for free and just know your worth. Would you say that in your experience, it's easy or acceptable to set those boundaries in your line of work? I think of journalism as being a very intensive, life-consuming profession where a lot of the times your reward for good work is more work. And <laughs> would you say that that is true and manageable? It's hard to carve out those boundaries. And I think part of it too is knowing what's reasonable and what's unreasonable to ask. Sometimes you have a job that requires night or weekend shifts. Like that is a normal thing. Working a bunch of overtime and not clocking in those hours, that's not normal. You could, you could get paid for that work. Journalists tend to identify a lot as journalists, right? Like it's less so kind of a clocking in, clocking out kind of job. It's like a very much becomes part of your identity because it is, I think, so public and public facing. And oftentimes, since you're covering the news, right, that's not confined to certain hours of the day. So if you're in charge of a certain area of coverage or a topic, right, like that news can break and change, like literally at any point. We're often reacting to things that happen outside of us, in addition to obviously developing our own stories. And so I think that does make it more difficult than other professions to achieve that balance. But to Stephen's point, like you do need to set boundaries. And I think people at the end of the day will have more respect for you if you know when to say no. 
I've been working very hard and have shown a lot of commitment to this company that I'm working for that I don't need to scrap these vacation plans I had because you need an extra reporter to fill this story. And so I think it is like really important for young reporters to do both, you know, to take opportunities to put themselves in uncomfortable situations and also make sure that they're not being taken advantage of and assert the respect that they deserve in the workplace. And it's such a hard balance. I've worked so many absurd hours, you know, sometimes at my own choice, I guess. If I get a call or a text from a source with a news tip and it's Sunday night or whatever day it is, if that's important news, like I want to be the first on that. You know, I talked about that competitiveness earlier, but also I'm going to, on my time card, I'm going to mark those hours and I'm going to get paid for it too. So I'm curious to hear what drives each of you to do the work that you do and to put in those hours and what you love about your job. I think for me, I feel like I'm always learning on my job. Like I'm always discovering something new, learning like about a new aspect of life that's going on, talking to people that I never would be talking to in my bubble of life from elected officials to just people in different pockets of the country that I just would never have wound up having the experience to learn their life story and understand like how their experiences led them to what they're doing today. And so that is always just very moving to me and always just gives me this energy and sense of wonder, you know, being able to get to see the range of human experience in the country. It just, it's like fascinating to me. The best interviews really leave me thinking afterwards about a whole host of stuff, half of which never even ends up in the story, but that I found interesting or fascinating. And in some cases, even lead to other stories. You're never doing the same thing. You're always learning something new. You're always talking to different people. And it just really drives me to like, continue doing it. And people trust you to tell their stories. And that's such a powerful responsibility. You get to be the person as a reporter who goes and advocates and asks questions on behalf of people. So especially covering government, like I believe very strongly that people should know what their government is doing. The government should be accountable to those people. And I get to be in a position where I'm the person asking questions to make sure that happens. I covered Joe Biden's campaign. I got to ask Joe Biden questions that were important to Iowa voters. That's an important role. I get to ask the governor questions that are important to voters. I get to talk to state legislators. They have a responsibility to the people that they represent. And I have a responsibility to make them see that responsibility. Wow. So for a Grinnellian who's interested in stepping into this field, what are they getting themselves into? What are the problems that journalism is facing? How is it changing? Where do you see it evolving? And what role will young journalists play in this? We talked a little bit earlier about kind of the financial picture, particularly for newspapers. There's a big struggle industry-wide to kind of figure out what the financial model is going forward. There's a lot of focus on digital subscriptions, but that has yet to make up for sort of falling print revenue, falling advertising revenue. So there's a search for a new equilibrium there financially, and that can make things difficult for young journalists. It can be hard to find jobs. The pay can be low. We talked about all the things that we love about journalism, but there's definitely challenges in the field as well. I would add to that one of the areas I've been working on within the journalism field is increasing its diversity and representation in newsrooms. The journalism industry, like many others, has been far behind in representing the population that that newspaper covers, whether that's nationally or even locally. And so diversifying newsrooms is a really important step, not only because you want all places of work to be diverse, but particularly with journalism, you have reporters who are charged with writing narratives about the country, right? And pitching 
overarching stories and like kind of determining, you know, what the big issues are and all those things that are very different if we had newsrooms that like fully reflected the communities that we're serving. If you have more Spanish language journalists, if you have more journalists that represent the Black, Hispanic, Asian, et cetera, communities well, like you would be getting more stories pitched around those communities and the issues that matter to them. And those would get covered more thoroughly and become bigger parts of the national conversation. And so that's definitely like an area of improvement that is getting better, but still has like a lot of work to do. So as we move to the end of the conversation, I'm wondering if you guys could share what advice you wish you'd known when you were at Grinnell. I almost hesitate to say this. I found that like following what I like to do, like my passions and my strengths kind of naturally led me to the career that I'm very happy in. I mean, obviously, you know, you need to pay the bills and you need to get a job. But if you're able to find a field that really caters to what your strengths are and what you're interested in, I think you will go far in that because you have a not only like you feel like you're playing your strengths, but it's also something that you really like to do. And that just will naturally lead to success if you're doing something that you love to do. And I will say this too. I was searching for journalism jobs right out of college or or even in the last months of my senior year. There were times when I was like, oh gosh, maybe I should have gotten a journalism degree. You know, I didn't know that's what I wanted when I went into Grinnell. And looking back, no, you know, respect to anybody with a journalism degree, but Grinnell's English degree that I got fully prepared me. I know many journalists who did not come out of a journalism school, who got a liberal arts education, they're fully capable of doing the job. And the other thing is, once you get into the workforce, nobody cares what your major was. Nobody cares what your GPA was. They care that you can show up and you can do the work. What employers looked at the most after I graduated were the clips I had, like the examples of my writing I had. They weren't, like Stephen was saying, focusing on my GPA or my major or like any of those things that seem to matter a whole lot while you're in college. Like they literally just want to see what your writing is like and they want to get a sense of whether you're a hard worker and a thoughtful person. So the more examples that you can get of your writing, of those skill sets, the more that you can show actually the doing of journalism. That is the best way to know journalism, finding that opportunity to actually do it. You'll be fine. So as you two go forth from this conversation, is there anything on the horizon for you that you're excited about? Having the time off to rest and relax, enjoy some time with my family and friends, and then diving back in in January to the new Iowa legislative session, the big high school cafeteria that is the state capitol. I love that. Iowa State Capitol has a high school cafeteria. That's so funny. Well, I'm excited for you guys to have some rest and I'm excited to see what you guys continue to do when the legislative session begins in January. And Sylvia, with everything that you're doing, um, you guys are fantastic. I'm so grateful that you guys took the time to talk with me and to talk vicariously through me to other Grinnellians. It's been an amazing conversation. Thank Thank you so much. I always love talking about journalism. I'll do it anytime. too. We'll keep in touch. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to see you, Stephen. Yeah, good talking to you too, Sylvia. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by the Center for Careers, Life, and Service at Grinnell College. This episode was produced by Meredith Benjamin. Our executive producer is Katie Kriegel. Find us online at career.grinnell.edu. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Going Forth Podcast. Listen to more episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Go forth, Grinnellian. See you next time. Mm-hmm.